a long time ago, and uh, so some of you, some of you, when I see you, I times twelve again, and I pr- appreciate the the fact that you are, are still friendly with me. That's I love this church because of what you are. Your reputation goes far and wide. This congregation has a has a light that is seen all over the world. This is a church that loves God and loves his word and loves the lost. That's a combination that doesn't usually fit together always. And I appreciate so much who you are. And I thank you for letting me come. And uh, tonight we're looking at the last uh, words of Jesus from the cross. Uh, This is a because that was the most important day that's ever been, and the most important one that's ever been on this earth said these words, at the most important time, the watershed of everything, we should always pay close attention to those words because, well, they're the last words of our Lord. And also, when you think of what he was going through when he said it, how hard it was to even get a word out, we know that these were very important words. Recently, uh, a, a couple that I, I love dearly, uh, they're both gone now in a matter of a couple of months. Uh, he had some dementia, and well, had a lot of dementia, and he, he got to where he couldn't carry on a conversation with anybody. He talked all the time, but no one knew what he was talking about or Anything and and his wife, he wouldn't leave her side. And when they moved into the nursing home, she, he was within a foot of her at all times. She was the last thing he really knew. And when he uh, when she died, their daughter rushed to the nursing home. They were surprised that she died. And he's sitting on the bed with her, his wife's head in her lap, and he's stroking her hair, and he looks up at his daughter. And with clarity that he hadn't said anything in in a year, he said, she's gone. And she said, yes, Daddy, I know she's gone. She said he struggled. And then he said, there's nothing here. And she said, yeah. The next day, when they were trying to make plans for her funeral, he was sitting over in the corner, but he wasn't satisfied with what he usually did, look at the paper and that sort of thing said he was very agitated, and finally he comes up to the table and sits down with the rest of the family. And he, he struggled and struggled to get the words out, and he said, I'll be there. And they said, yes, Daddy, you'll be here. And then he sat there for a little longer, and finally he got out. It will be nice. And they said, yes. And then he said he never said another reasonable thing at the funeral or any other time. I, well, I cried when I heard that because I thought, can you imagine how hard it was for a guy that had so few resources to go to in his mind, how important this conversation had to be to him, to, to take everything in him. And within a month, he's gone too trying with all of his might to do, to say what needed to be said at that very important time. That's our Lord on the cross. No idle words, no, he tells no jokes, he, there's no by words, there's nothing like that. It's all 
precise. The very fact these statements are so short is because just getting enough air to say a word would be a major accomplishment. The passage that we're going to look at tonight is found in the book of, uh, of Luke, and these are actually the first words that, Jesus, that we think that Jesus said from the cross. And it's in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter uh, 23 and verse 34. Uh, they're, they're nailing him to the cross, and Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Before we get into these words, I want us to think about the way God communicates with us in the Bible. Of course, he's he makes flat-out statements, commandments, and sometimes in Jesus would give us a parable, but he, had a, he wasn't really talking about a shepherd. He's talking about something about a lesson that he wants us to get. And sometimes historical events are written down with a, with a point. There's always a point for us. It's always the Bible says the things that are written a former time are written for our learning. And we should be learning from those things. And sometimes he, he makes a statement like this. And what we have here is a, a prayer. Jesus is actually praying a prayer. But uh, Luke lets us, through the Holy Spirit's intervention here, he lets us eavesdrop on that prayer. Now, the reason that we're eavesdropping on the prayer is that we need to know what he said. And we need to know what we're supposed to learn from it because this word that he's given to us, he's given to us not because he needs to say something or because he needs to know something. He, he's giving it to us so that we can learn something and that we can learn the right thing. We, so we learn the truth by reading this word. Sometimes God asks questions. In this passage, he's making a statement. Where a prayer is being made. But I, when I, I read this and was thinking about it, I, I thought about a question that God asked at the very beginning of history. And that's where I want us to start, because when we look at these, these questions that God asked on that day, they sound a lot like the prayer that Jesus prays on his last day as a human being. In the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, man has just really messed up. You know the story. They were put in a beautiful place. They were given meaningful work. They were given uh, everything they could possibly want, including a daily visit from God where they could walk with him and talk with him. Can you imagine? All their questions could be answered, and they could have this open face-to-face -face fellowship with God. There's one commandment. That was given to them a, a don't do commandment. And God said, you can eat of any tree in the garden except that one. Leave that alone. He told them that that tree will produce death for you. And you, you're not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. You know how Satan tempted Eve. and Eve ate the fruit. And then she gave it to Adam and he ate the fruit. You know the story. When God appears that evening... To walk with them, they're hiding in the bushes. And God asks a series of questions. I want you to look at them. We're not going to read the whole passage, but you look. We're in chapter 3 of Genesis, and we're going to start with verse 9. The first question he asks is, where are you? 
Now, God doesn't ask questions like we ask questions. His questions are all rhetorical. God already knows everything. He, he's not saying, which tree are you hiding behind? Or help me out here. Am I in the right part of the forest? You know, that's, he already knows that. Anytime you see God ask a question in the Bible, it's not the reason that we ask questions. We ask questions usually to find out something, don't we? God's asking these questions so that Adam and Eve will find out something. And the Holy Spirit wrote this conversation down so that we could learn something. So a rhetorical question, the person asking already knows the answer. When you ask the child with the syrup all over their mouth, did you get into the pantry? You already know the answer, don't you? You know? And, and you want this child to become aware of their their uh, big mistake, okay? This is what God is doing here. And the first question is, and, and because it's that kind of a question, and because like that prayer is not just an idle thank you for the food we had today, this is a, this is a, a very important prayer because he said what he said, we should learn the big lesson that we must know. We must know the answer to this. The first question he asks Eve, he says, and Adam, where are you? Verse 9. What he's really asking them is, where and in what are you centering your life? Where are you standing? Not behind the oak tree. But where are you standing in your relationship to me? Where are you standing in, in this whole cosmos that's going on here? You know, the whole thing. Where are you centering your life? That'd be a good question to ask, wouldn't it? It's a good question. The reason it was written down, Eve never has to have anybody take notes and tell her later, what were those questions God asked? She'll never forget them. I mean, her whole life changed that day. Adam's not going to have to be reminded those questions. He's going to be thinking about them when he goes to sleep at night. He's going to be thinking about them when he gets up in the morning. When he wipes the sweat off his face, he's going to think about it. When he pulls the thorns out of his hands, he's going to think about it. When he can't walk as good as he used to, when he sees death creeping up all around him, he's, when he knows all this, he knows all of these questions. So why are they written down? They're written down for you and me. It's a question we ought to ask. Where are you? Where are you? Some people, the center of their life is politics. They know everything about everybody that's... They know about Hillary. They know about Donald. They know about all of the people. Everybody, they know all of the story, and they stay current on it all of the time. If When they're not reading about it, they're listening to it, they're analyzing it, they're thinking about it. So where they are is in this place, you know, of politics. Other people, it's sports. Other people, it's their work. He asked him, he said, where, where are you? But before they really get a good question out, an answer out, he gives them the second question, and that's verse 11. He said, who told you you were naked? What we have here is a question that says, what's the source of your information? Who told you you were naked? You say you are ashamed and you're hiding in the bushes because you're naked. How do you know this? 
Where are you getting your information? Now, that is a question we ought to ask every day. You really think the Internet's the best place to get information? I read on the Internet the other day, Abraham Lincoln said, most of the stuff in the Internet is a lie. I mean, if Abraham Lincoln said it and it was in the Internet, he must have said it, you know. Many, many of us get our information from bad places. If you're having trouble in your marriage, I promise you there's people that will be glad to give you information. Some guy that's been married five times, he will tell you, I wouldn't put up with that at all. Of course you wouldn't. That's why your life is in such shambles, you know. People that, uh, that play Russian roulette with their credit cards, they'll give you advice on finances all the time, won't they, you know. Mostly it's give them your money, you know. The fact that he's telling him here, he said, who told you, Renekidish, where are you getting your information? It's kind of embarrassing to have to say, I got it from the snake. I can talk to God every day, but I listen to the snake. What a deal. And that's, so he said, who, where are you getting your information? And then before he even gets through with it, he comes back in the same verse and he said, have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? You think God didn't know? Of course he knew. So why is he asking him? What he's asking them, are you living in obedience to me? It's a simple question. That doesn't mean it's easy. Are you doing what I told you to do? One time when I was a teenager, mother and daddy were going on a, daddy was going to preach a meeting, the only place we ever went, wherever he was going to go preach. And, and they, were, they were going to go preach, and I wanted to stay home and do something. And, and he told me that I could stay home, and he told my brother Mike he could stay home too. And then before they left, he said, I, I got two rules. Don't go anywhere. Stay here at the house. And don't let anybody else in the house. Got it? Got it. Saturday morning, some guys came by. Friday morning, I don't know, it's summertime. Some guys came by, buddies of mine, and they wanted to go to the show. Well, I didn't want to tell them, you know, I'm 16. I'm a, I'm, I'm a man by every standard you could go by. I didn't want to tell them I'm virtually grounded here. So what I told them was, I can't go with you. I'm going to wax all the floors in our house today. We had those wooden floors, those hardwood floors. And my buddy says, we'll help you. So we got the paste wax out, and we rubbed it all over the floor, and we put extra socks on, and we slid around, and we, we worked on that floor all day, and we didn't even break anything, but we did it. When we got through, they said, now let's go to the show. And I told my brother, don't go anywhere, and don't let anybody in the house. An awful wind. It was an unusual time. I think it was a Thursday, now that I think about it, because up until then, I didn't know you could have a meeting that didn't go at least through Friday or Saturday. But this one ended on Wednesday. And when I got home that night, mother and daddy were at home, Everybody was in bed asleep. I woke Mike up, and I said, uh, how'd it go? And he said, you are dead meat, and rolled over. 
The next morning when my dad and I were talking about these very questions in a little different form, I showed him the floors, those beautiful wax floors. He was not impressed at all. No matter how many times I brought the floor up, he would say, did you do what I told you to do? And he gave me a memory verse, the one that Samuel gave to Saul, to hearken is better than sacrifice and obedience than the fat of rams. And then he uh, used other methods of persuasion for me, to, so I would never forget those uh, lessons. Are you living in obedience to him? Knowing what God says is not hard. It's a simple. The commandments are always in short sentences. They're always small words. They're easy to understand. Sometimes they're hard to do, but they're easy to understand. We can understand. You can imagine how big the job was that Noah had. But the commandment was pretty simple. Here's the boat I want you to build. Build it. You, you can imagine how hard it was for Abraham to take Isaac up on that mountain. But to, he couldn't possibly misunderstand the commandment that was given to him. God is asking Adam and Eve, he's asking them, are you living in obedience to me? Are you obeying my commandment? There's things you can, little tests you can do. If you find yourself avoiding Scripture, there's some Scripture you just don't like to even look at, you know. That's maybe a, a clue, you know. Or maybe you're, you have this, I sometimes hear somebody say, I have trouble with this verse. Now, they don't mean that they're having a hard time living up to it. They're meaning they don't agree with it, you know. Then we go back to the first commandment, where are you centering your life? Is it in God? The second statement or question is, uh, uh, who told you, you you were naked? And the third question, are you living in obedience? But the question that, that just shocked me when I read it is the next one. It's in verse 15, verse 13. He says to Eve, what is this that you have done? Now, it's not that he doesn't know what she did. And it's not that he wants her to say, I ate some fruit. Or, do you ever have a dog you really love that chewed your boots up? You love the dog, but you love the boots. Or maybe he ate your chickens. That'd probably even be better. You could live without the boots, but you can't have a dog that eats your chickens. And what would you say to that dog that you love? What have you done? First, you know a dog doesn't know. He's, he's a dog. He, but Eve, what have you done? Do you ever have a child that really messed up? The consequences are going to be lifetime. What have you done? It's not that he doesn't know. Of course, Eve doesn't know how far the ripples are going to go. 
how many wars are going to be fought, how many people are going to become slaves, how many children are going to die, how many tears are going to be shed, how many friendships are going to be broken up. Eve, Eve thinks she just ate some fruit and got some wisdom. But God knows the consequences of this. What have you done? Maybe you've been a teacher, had a student that you really liked and you really had hopes for. And they just blew it. They just ruined any chances of ever having the life they could have had. You say, what have you done? The fact is, God knows who we are. He knows the Bible says that we're made out of dirt. He knows that. He made us. He knows that we have limits. There's only so much we can understand. Best man in the world, Job, wanted God to explain suffering to him, and God says, you can't handle it. You don't, this is not for you to know. You're going to have to trust me on this. Moses, God's friend that he talked to face to face, said, Show me your glory. God says, you'll die. You won't live through it. You can't handle it. You're not made. You're not that sturdy. God knows how weak Eve is, and, but she's not so weak she couldn't have obeyed that commandment. And the fact that she doesn't know what she should have known or could have known, the fact that she doesn't know all of the consequences of, of sin coming into the world and and all that's going to happen to her body and, and to her life. And one of her sons is going to murder his brother. And all of those horrible things that are going to happen, the fact that she doesn't know doesn't mean that she couldn't have obeyed God. Doesn't. And she couldn't have trusted God. What Satan was really doing when he was tempting her was telling her God is really not your friend. God is holding you back. God is doing evil to you and not good. You'll be better off running your own life than you will be following God. Now, Eve doesn't know about all the consequences of sin. Eve doesn't know what it's going to cost to redeem man. Eve doesn't know all of that. But she should have known God well enough to know that she could trust him. And she should have known him and did know him well enough to know that she could obey him and that he knew best. But what have you done? For one thing, this is the last time we can have this conversation. This is done. It's over. There's going to be, it's the last time you're going to rock and play in this beautiful place. There's going to be an angel with a flaming sword keeping you out of it. Your life is going to get so hard. And every life after you is going to get so hard. And there's so many. You know, you read, the, you read, you read this passage so many times. You know what he says. What is amazing about God is not this story of failure because we didn't even have to read this story to know it because we've all done it. We've all ruined it. We've all put ourselves in the wrong place and centered our life in the wrong things. We've, we've all got our information from the wrong place, haven't we? We've all disobeyed God 
and we haven't really counted the cost of the decision that we made when we sinned. But here it is. What is amazing about it is it right in the middle of the discipline, right in the middle of judgment, where the holy God, who's the creator of the universe, is telling them this is what it's going to cost you now and hinting at what it's going to cost in the future. Right there in that passage, in verse 15, he said, And I will put enmity, talking to the serpent, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he'll bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And Right there in the middle of all of that judgment, we have the first, the first hint of the promise. And we have the first little thread of hope. You see Adam and Eve leaving the garden, clutching those animal skins around them and going out there and it's so hot and it's so hard and it's already, the world is already, even the, you know, if, if we, if we, we want to get really way out, you go through the Bible and look for those consequences. And you hear God say things like, the whole creation groans, groans. Something happened to the universe. Something that got all out of kilter. It's not just there's thorns on roses now. Everything is broken. That's what sin does. And I can imagine them huddling in front of a fire and trying to figure out how we're going to get our next meal and, and, and lamenting the way it was and everything thinking about what do you think he meant by this bruising the heel and bruising the head sounded like good news and you know we don't have time tonight but you know as you go through the bible you see this promise getting fleshed out all the way up to jesus nailed on a cross praying a prayer He's not saying the same words, but he's talking about the same thing. And he says, Father, forgive them. You know who they are. You know. Now, if you'd ask them, do you know what you did? They know. Everybody there knew they were killing an innocent man. The Roman soldier might have said, well, you know, I have to obey orders. I can't know whether a guy I killed in a war or anywhere else is, I have to do what my commander says. And you know that, that some of the people in the Sanhedrin would say, we have to have order, we have to have decency, we have, to, we have all of these years of tradition, everything will be messed up if we don't. You know what Caiaphas said, we'll lose our place. You know why they said that they justified it all? You know, you know why they did it? But the truth is, even though they knew he was an innocent man, and even though they knew he was from God, and even though they knew he worked miracles, and even though they knew Lazarus was alive because he raised him from the dead, and even though they knew he spoke truth, they even said it in public, you spoke well about that. Even though they know that, could any human being ever get our mind around what it cost. What does it cost? 
Eve, what have you done? Father, you know them. You know how ignorant they are. You know how weak they are. You know how short-sighted they are. Could they realize, could anybody realize just how dark that day was? Could anybody realize from heaven's side just what was going on there? When I come to Abilene, I, there's a part of my brain clicks back to where I'm a kid, you know? When I was a kid, I had a box. I had kept it under my bed. It had my absolute greatest treasures in it. The rattlesnake rattle, I know, was in there. There's some airheads in there. Were a lot of firecrackers in there. And you never let an opportunity to buy firecrackers to go by, and you never, you got the biggest ones you could afford and, and the biggest ones anybody would let you have. You never know when you need to blow something up. You know what? I had a knife or two in there. I don't remember everything, but I do know one thing I always had, and that was a magnifying glass. They're almost magical. Now, I'm not saying the greatest thing about a magnifying glass was that you could look at a bug and he looked big. No, there was something even better about a magnifying glass. On a sunny day, if the better the glass, the better it worked. But on a sunny day, you could burn your name on a board or you could explode an ant. Or you could start a fire. Or you could wake your brother up. Something about that glass and all of that energy in the sun that's coming down there, all of it that hit that glass focuses. And the better the glass and the bigger the glass, the smaller that little dot of light was. And my, 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 what happened? Guys, on that day, when Jesus prays this prayer, he's saying, Father, you know, he doesn't say it, I'm, I'm, I'm adding to the scripture. Are you with me here? You know they will never, ever save themselves. You know it's not in man that walks to direct his steps. You know there's ways that seem right to them, but the end of that way is death. You know who they are. You know how ignorant they are. You know how broken they are. And there's only one way we're going to get them out of this. And it's going to be expensive. It's going to cost more than we can imagine. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Jesus said, "Nobody, you never had a friend that isn't a friend that lays down his life for his, for his friends. He said, the good shepherd lays down his life. No one can take it from him. You know who we are, you know who they are, and you know it's up to us to do the heavy lifting. And that's what he's praying. And on that day, on that hill, when they took Jesus up there, after spitting on him and ripping his clothes off of him and beating him bloody and, and abusing him and embarrassing him and doing everything they could do to him, besides that, they called him a liar and they called him a blasphemer and they called him a traitor and all of those things, and they nailed him up there, and all of that was like all of the darkness of sin 
that started in that beautiful place where God and man could have fellowship together. All of that has now expanded out into the world and it's, it's all of the lies and all of the, all of the creepy ideas and all of the prejudice and all of the selfishness and all of the pride and all of it was there and they nailed him on that cross. But guys, at the very same time, all of the holiness of God was coming into focus in that place. All of the righteousness of God, all of the wrath of God towards sin, all of the love of God, all of the, all of the long-suffering of God, all of the all that glorious, all of it comes together in that place. And the Father answered that prayer. And you know they had to repent. You know all of that. But at least now there's a door. A place where we can get out of this mess that we've made for ourselves. So we can be forgiven. You ever been forgiven? I mean, really. I don't mean you had 13 items and you were only supposed to have 12. I'm not talking about that. You ever been forgiven of a really big deal? I won't tell you my worst things, but I'll tell you one of them. One time I forgot an appointment. It wasn't to go eat lunch with somebody. This man that I liked, his wife that I liked, had died, and I'd been over to see him a couple of times, and we talked about the funeral over a period of several days. And then he said, my children will be in Sunday evening. Could you come over, and we'll talk some more? And I said, sure. I'd like to tell you all the stuff I did that day, how frazzled I was. I'd like to tell you everything about the fact that, you know, but I think my children even came in from out of town. After church, we went and ate supper with a bunch of people. When I, This before cell phones. When I got home, there was like eight messages on my phone, all from this family. Where are you? Aren't you coming? Has something happened? The last one says, never mind. Don't call us. I tried to talk to them. They wouldn't talk to me. I got fired for preaching that funeral. I, I wasn't. It was mostly the kids. But uh, they wrote a letter to the church. What a jerk I was. What are you going to say? I'm not a jerk? I mean, I missed an appointment with a guy that's trying to bury his wife. That's, I didn't want to go to the funeral, but I thought I should. I went there, and you talk about a leper. I didn't shake anybody's hands. I just slunk out of there. A couple of days later, I couldn't live with myself anymore, and I went to see the man. His name was Pat. I said, can you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? I'd like to tell you what happened, but there's no excuse. I just forgot. He hugged me. And he said, that's what being a Christian is all about. And he forgave me. And I could breathe again. 
Jesus prayed for a whole lot bigger things than that. You know what we've done. Father, you know these people. You know how wicked they are. You know how broken they are. You know how weak they are. You know they're never, ever, ever, together or as a group, ever going to get out of this hole that they're in. Forgive them. He was not just asking the Father to do that because the Father planned this. They planned this before the foundations of the world. Before Eve ever did it, they had this plan set up for how to save us. What he's saying is that we're now we're doing it. The last thing he's going to say is it's finished. Finished. We did it. No wonder we, the prettiest songs you'll ever sing are about that day. No wonder we can't ever get out of our mind what he has done for us. No wonder we, we can't even begin to imagine what our sin cost. Well, we can know something, can't we? We may not ever understand this side of heaven, how deep and wide and great His grace is or how much it costs. But we can know that we don't deserve it. And we can know He did it. And we can know that we can now live. And we can breathe again. The most amazing thing I've found in my life is why anybody could learn that and not grab it, not hang on to it, not be like Paul and say, for me to live is Christ. Why couldn't we do that? Well, we can. Tonight, we can. Won't you come to him while we stand and sing?